So if you would grab your Bibles, if you have them, if not, grab your phones or your tablets or just your memory. For some of you got the whole thing memorized and you are impressive. Uh, we are in a, we're in a series called The Story and I, I've heard, I actually heard this, that we had somebody come and visit our church and then they, they kind of laughed, they were kind of discouraged and they said, I don't know, they're not preaching the Bible, they're preaching this thing called The Story. You can tell they've never read it. So uh, it, the story is the Bible. Uh, if, if you're wondering, well, what is the story? Yes, we have the story, and it's a book that you can buy. But all that it is, it's, it's, it's scripture put together in chronological order so it reads like a novel. So Ezra, where it's kind of toward the beginning of the Old Testament, actually goes with Haggai and Zechariah, which is toward the end of the Old Testament. So they put them together so the story makes sense. You with me? So that's why they call it the story. Ah. Okay, so that's, that's what we've been going through. And so we're, uh, we're in chapter 19 of the story. And so when I was reading through it, I was like, hey, God, where do you want me to go with this? Because I'm not the kind of preacher that can take, like Glenn. Glenn is like the master of taking 22 chapters and boom, it all makes sense because it all fits together. Uh, you give me like four words in one verse and that's what I'm going to focus on. That's why it takes me so long to get through a series. So I'm going, God, I don't know. I don't know how to do this. This is not the norm for me. And as I just read through it, I was just reading through, through chapter 19, the story, reading all the passages, rereading, okay, God, where are you going with this? Maybe this, is this? maybe this is the thing that we need to be reminded of. Two words have changed, his, changed history over and over and over and over again. But God. How many of you have seen this? Here's the circumstances completely up against you. You know, you know of no other way out. It got so bad, yet you were obedient to God. But it seemed like you had no way out. There's no, way, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. No way to get away from it but God. So then God steps in. Or maybe it's been like this. Maybe some of you, you've wandered or you took off from God. And so God said, you know what? Then I'm going to let you experience what it is that you want the most. Because he's wrath, just filled with wrath and can't wait to just jack us up? No, because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness that he hands us over to our sin so that he can show his mercy on us when we repent. And so maybe you're at that point, you're just at the end and you see no way out but God. See, it's always been two words that have changed history, but God. Adam and Eve broke it, but God. When I didn't know him, but God. When I didn't know how he was going to come through, but God. See, the promises of God, when you look through it, this is the part that hit me throughout the whole thing. God's promises. Well, it's okay, we look at scripture and that's what he told them, but do you realize that all of God's promises are yes for us today? So when I look through the promises, here's the thing. When you're reading scripture, for those that say, well, I've already read it once, I got it. You're the same person that will watch the same movie over 12 times at one time through scripture. It's crazy to me. You read through it, you find the promises and you circle them and you ask God, okay, God, is this for me? Is this for someone that I know? Am I praying this over someone? Is your fulfillment of this promise going to happen for them? Or am I part of the process? I mean, think of Joshua. Joshua takes over for Moses, one of the greatest leaders ever. What Joshua got to do to lead the people into the promised land was a 400-year-old promise. Joshua was never there for the promise. 
It was given 400 years before, and here comes Joshua to be part of the fulfillment of that promise. And so here's the thing. Will we go out today looking, wondering, God, is this the day? Is that the person who has been waiting? Has the lineage, the family line of that person right in front of me, in front of me in the line at lunch, is this the time to fulfill the promise that you've had in store for 2,000 years? See how our lives become a little bit bigger than what I'm going to have for lunch, what time do I go to bed? When we look at God's promises, man, we look for ways to be part of it. Not that he needs us, but that he wants us. He wants us in the process. We love this verse. If you've been brought, who, who's been brought up in the church? Not this church, but any church. Okay, two of you. That's good. Okay, we're, we're really getting the lost, man. This is fantastic. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans, plans for welfare, not for evil to give you a future and a hope. A lot of people like the NIV better, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper. We like that word, prosper. Because that means my wallet's getting bigger. My wallet's getting all fat. Green is just laying in my wallet. Plans to prosper, not to harm, to give you hope and a future. We love that verse, man. We stick it on doilies. We stick it on Thomas Kincaid paintings. So there's a Thomas Kincaid painting, and there it is. For I know the plans. I because what it means is that I get stuff. It's weird we don't read it in the context. We like the verse. In the context, it says this, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed, say 70. Oh, crud. So it might not be right now. So when 70 years are completed, I don't want to be part of the 70 years. I want to be at year 69. I'll put in 12 months. But can you imagine being the very first the first day of the first year, God did not say this when everything was great. God did not say this when the people of Israel had their own land. God said this in the middle of their captivity. And this is the part that frustrates us a lot. If God can do this, if God knows these plans, then why is this happening? In other words, if God is sovereign, if he's in total control of everything, and this is one I can't answer, but it's been on the news. If God is in control of everything, can do whatever he wants, then why did that happen in Santa Barbara? And I can't answer it. Other than we live in a fallen and broken world, and again, people go, but he's sovereign. I understand that. So what do you say? I don't know. See, isn't it weird? We want the answer to why, and most of the time, God doesn't give us the answer, and maybe that's the most gracious thing that he could do is not tell us the answer. Why? Because he knows we won't like it. We don't like the answer of why or how long. It's like, God, just tell me how long. Do you really want to know? I mean, if it's like seven minutes, you're like, tell me, seven minutes. I got this. I got this. But if he comes out and says, 70 years, No. I disagree. I will make it happen quicker. 400 years. We think that God is we think that God is stuck in time. He wears a watch and carries an iPhone so he can check his calendar to make sure he's on time. He's never late because he's not on time. He owns time. So the promises of God are always true. Guys, this is 70 years in the making. 
He says, after 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And that should be the part we underline. He's like, no, no, get to verse 11. Because he's got plans for me. And he's going to give me stuff. He says, no, no, after 70 years, I will visit you. Is that good enough? What if he just stopped there? After 70 years, I will visit you. Oh, great. So you'll be around, but things will be all jacked up. So I don't get more stuff. I don't prosper. I don't get good things. Isn't it crazy how quick we can worship the gifts and forget about the giver of the gifts? God does not give us things so that we can worship those things. He gives us those things because those things are supposed to point us back to him. I find myself always looking at the stuff. Oh, people ask me, how are you doing? Spoiled. I'm spoiled. That's how I answer. I'm spoiled. What if things are really bad? I'm still spoiled. So sometimes I'm really honest and other times I'm lying about it. How I'm spoiled. But I don't ever want to be the person that looks at the stuff and forget about God who gave me the stuff. Or what I have in life or who I am and God, the work that God has done in me and he has so much more to do. I never want to just look at me. Always about him. It always should point back to him. He says, after 70 years, after it's been completed in Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. And that should change everything. Maybe you're in the midst of something that is so difficult, most difficult thing you've ever experienced in your life. And maybe the one thing that you need to hear today is God saying, but I know the plans I have for you. But God, this is what's going on, and I don't see how you're going to bring it all about. I don't see how you're going to come through and save the day. And God's sitting there going, but I know the plans I have for you. I mean, Paul says it this way, do not be anxious about anything. What fits in anything? Everything fits in anything. And I don't like the verse. Because in that moment when I can't do anything, at least I can worry and feel like I'm accomplishing something in the day. Hey, what'd you do today? I worried. Oh, I worried real well. Do not be anxious about anything. It's a command. When I'm anxious about anything, I disobey. It's called sin. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and petition, and then notice the phrase, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. How can I thank God for what he's done when he hasn't done it yet? That's like thanking someone for the birthday present. My birthday's in June, just so you know. My birthday's in June. It's like, <laughs> it's like thanking you now for the gifts. So let me just thank you. Thank you for the gifts that you will give me June 18th. Just send them to the church. Thank you in advance for what you will give to me. I haven't even received it yet. So here comes God saying, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything but prayer and petition with thanksgiving. How can I thank him when he hasn't done it yet? I can thank him because he says, I know the plans I have for you. He's not living moment by moment. It's all been done. And yet somehow he works in time with us, but not controlled by time like us. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, where to prosper you, if you have that translation, and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me. You ever notice how much more you pray when things get really bad? You ever notice how much more we focus on Jesus 
And we pray big then. When things are good, it's like, God, thanks for this day. I'm out. <laughs> we go away. But man, when it's bad, oh, with TV, we don't even know what that is. We don't need it. God, please, 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 please. And you're just talking to God constantly. It's like, God, when are you going to show up? We're actually attentive to him. We're looking for him to fulfill something. We need him. Why? Because in that moment, there's nothing else. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. Do you see the promise? You will pray to me, and I will what? I will hear you. You ever pray, and it feels like it hit the ceiling and came back down? Or you didn't say it out loud, so it just hit the top of your brain and came back down? There's no way God's listening. Nothing's changed. Realize when God is saying this through, through Jeremiah, nothing had changed. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and, here's the promise, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Do you see the promise? So far, the promise that I see in here has less to do with what God says in verse 11 and more to do with what he says in verse 12. Isn't it crazy that most of the time, as I've been looking through this, a lot, well, I'm not gonna say most, a lot of the times God is saying, here's the promise, I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. And we say, yeah, but, yeah, but. God's like, isn't that enough? I will be with you. And when you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you. For your parents, when, you're, when your kids were little, or maybe they are still little, when they first, like one of the first times they ever played hide and seek with you, be honest, it's a pathetic attempt for them to try to find you. It's, you could be standing behind the lamp, like, I don't know where, where is he? And they're walking around like drunk monkeys, like, I don't know. And so maybe you're hiding behind a door. There was always one door because it was always in the dark place. I knew they would never come toward it. So I'm sitting in my room with the door kind of like here, as close as I could get it to my body. And I'm looking through the little crack at them. They're just looking around. And you make a little noise. And they go the opposite direction. You're like, oh, this kid. This kid has no hope. Okay. So and they go, so then what do you do? You, you want to keep playing the game, right? Because the goal is that they find you. As a parent, you want them to find you. So as they start going this way, what do you do? You make noise. Something like this. Hey! Oh, there it is. There it is. And then as they get closer to the dark, they start getting a little freaked out. You see them go, uh, uh, uh. You start making more noise. (laughs) Maybe that's just my hide-and-seek game, but. So then what? Before they even get there, what do you do? You jump out. Why? Just to scare the crud out of them. They've got a diaper on. You're fine. You're totally good. So they go, ah, they drop, a, they drop a load. They go running off. You go after them. You chase them and grab them. Why? Because the whole purpose of the game was what? Not to stay hidden from them. You wanted them to find you. See, we've got to change this mentality in our, in our minds about God. The guy's just hiding behind a door, and then all of a sudden, he vanishes before we get there. And he's just jacking with our lives. He's just doing it because he can but there might be times where he's watching us walk around and he, we go the wrong direction. He'll make a noise and we'll go the right direction. And maybe he's just behind the door going, this is gonna be so good. 
This is gonna do. And then picture God scaring you. Oh, you die. <laughs> he makes the promise, I will be found by you. When you seek me with all of your heart, that's the, that's the stipulation. When you seek me, that means for some of you, it's time to stop relying on that one little prayer you did back at summer camp. And you got the shivers because you were under the air conditioning vent and didn't know it. You said, that's God. And because I prayed that prayer, all he has to do is sit me right in the wagon with a Starbucks cup and he just wheels me to heaven. Friends, you may get to heaven, you just won't see God along the way. The Bible says when you seek him with all of your heart, when he is everything, not a part of our lives, we gotta get that out of our heads, Christians. When we surrender to Christ, we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. It is no longer my life where he is a part of it. He is everything. This is his life. He says, when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. He makes the promise in the midst of circumstances that say otherwise. Now understand the circumstances never dictate the reliability of God's promises. Circumstances never dictate the reliability of God's promises. Now, I tried the show of hands before, and y'all rebelled with that. So let's try it again. How many of you would agree with this? God is predictably unpredictable. There it is. Thank you. Didn't go to church, but you got that one. Okay, so God is predictably unpredictable. You ever notice how he starts and does something here, and then the next time you, you face that same kind of thing, and he does it completely different. But just the fact that God is predictably unpredictable does not mean that God is not reliable. He is completely Reliable. Well, it didn't happen yet. Remember, if you want the answer to how long, you better be okay if he says 70 years. So why are we looking at Jeremiah if we're supposed to be in Ezra? Because Ezra is the fulfillment. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. That makes no sense. Imagine you're one of the people of Israel. Imagine you remember the old days. And all of a sudden, Cyrus signs this edict, which when it's signed in writing, it cannot be changed. And in it he goes... God has given me the whole earth and he's told me to build a a temple so that his people can go worship. Cyrus is not a follower of God. He's a pagan king. So when scripture says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, it really is true. So for some of us, some of you who get so freaked out when your person was not voted in, Thank Jesus that that person's heart is still in the hand of the Lord. Nothing has changed. God is not sitting there going, plan A is no longer an option. Cherubim, seraphim, we got to have a powwow. Come here. 
What would you do? Oh, we're jacked up. We don't know. Oh, I hope the next vote happens right. My hands are tied. Sorry, Christians. Friends, we need to stop worshiping the impotent idol that we've created God out to be. He is sovereign. And if he can change the heart of this king, he can change the heart of any king. It does not make sense for a king to just come out and say, hey, I'm building you a temple and you guys are gonna go build it. I'm letting all of whoever, whoever, anyone here that has God put it on their heart that you're supposed to go, go. And I'm gonna pay for all of it. And I'm gonna pay for all the sacrifices once you start. I mean, it's all paid for. That makes no sense. But how many of you have seen in life where God will take you to the point where there's no other option so that you're ready to receive the miraculous? There's no other option. I can't explain it in any other way. God, I don't know what else to do. And maybe at that point, God goes, finally. Now watch this. This shouldn't happen. It should not have happened. And then we sit there and go, happy ending. Man, that's it. God put it on the heart. Oh, yeah, go home. Except that none, some have never been there. Some were born away from Jerusalem, so it's like God put it on their heart. Go. I don't know what that place is. And build a what? what? I don't even know what it looked like. And then we forget that it is a 900-mile journey back home. That stinks. I mean, with a plane, great. You just play with your iPhone the whole time. But 900 miles of hiking, walking with all your kids, all your stuff. This is a journey. So understand that God, when he calls us to something that is bigger, when he calls us to fulfill his promises, it is not always the comfortable path. But it's always the right path. We may not understand, we may not ever understand But if God puts it on our heart to move forward in what he has called us to do, then we move forward and then they show up. They lay the foundation. The young ones are sitting there going, yeah, they're screaming, they're celebrating, saying, oh, it started, this is amazing. And old people over here going, oh, it's not like the other one. It's not like the the good old days. And do you realize what God says to that? Yeah. It's not like the good old days. It's going to be so much better. For those that are married, remember when you first got married? First time you're like, oh, not really. But like if you just got married, like if you just got married, it's still all, I just love this. This is so great. We're so in love. You're singing Disney songs to each other. It's all weird like that. So you're singing, and then you get later on, and you're not singing the Disney songs. You're sitting there going, oh, God, no one told me about this part. So you're all in. He's like, I just love this. This is great. And as you've gone in through life, I'm really praying that as you follow God in your marriage, that he's taking you deeper, which has made it better. It doesn't make it easier, but better. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't trade what God has blessed here for the beginning stuff. It's like, oh, those are the good old days. And God said, there goes, those are not the good old days. That's how it all started. But I want to take you to so much deeper. I want to take you to places you never thought, and it will hurt along the way, but oh, it is so good when you get there. 
Some of you guys are weird. Um, and you're going to agree. For some of you, some of you love, love to work out. I don't get it. No, I'm, no, I'm working out, but I don't sit there and wake up and go, ah, <laughs> uh, this is my favorite thing in the world. I'm going to do push-ups with a car on my back. I'm going to, yeah, this is the best thing ever. Some of you guys are weird. You're just freaks of nature. Yeah, you like to work out, and you should be like, oh, that's me, that's me. The rest of us just do it because we have to. Because why? We want to try to be healthy. Not Adonis, but just live. How come? Why is it that when it comes to our spiritual walk, we don't expect the same effort? We think there's supposed to be no pain. There's, no, there's, there's supposed to be no opposition. And then when you look at this passage, you say, well, they built the foundation, I know. And then right after they built the foundation, the opposition came and tried to mess the whole thing up. And so you know what they did? I wish I could say they just fought through. They stopped for 16 years. 16 years, they just pulled back. And I wonder how many in the room, you've missed out on so much that God wants to do in and through you because once opposition came, you sat there and went, wait, God called me. There's opposition. This must not be of God. I'm leaving. And you go the other direction because somewhere in your mind, somewhere you heard, when it's of God, it's always easy. Why would God have to be the God of all comfort if it's always comfortable? I don't need a God of comfort if it's always comfortable. I don't need the Holy Spirit to give me peace if everything's always peaceful. Do you realize that the Bible says we actually have an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The word devour does not sound like play with, mess with. Ah, it's so cute. Some of you guys are running around in a field like a deer frolicking. This is the greatest life. And then when, when opposition comes, you stick your head in the sand like, just like this. Boom, and then your butt's all up like this. He said, oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm free. And the devil's sitting there going, you have given me the best target of all. He says, our war, our battle is not against flesh and blood. So for those of you that have deemed someone else on this planet as your enemy, God is saying you are wrong. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. But the spiritual forces of this dark world, we're supposed to be going to battle. There's going to be opposition when you're doing the things that God wants you to do. It just happens. 16 years. And you know what they did? They got comfortable and got complacent and got lazy. This is kind of what they did. Haggai shows up. In chapter 1, at Haggai, verse 4, comes up to preach, tells all the people, is, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Oh, this isn't one of those happy Sunday mornings. Haggai gets up. He's all jacked up. He's all mad at us. And he's got getting in our faces about stuff. I mean, I know I've got paneled housing, whatever that is. I've got a panel. I know we didn't do this yet, but what could we do? There was opposition. But look what he says. I understand there's opposition, but catch this. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Have you sown much and harvested little? 
You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into, into a bag with holes, which means that you're just wasting money. Thus says the Lord of hosts, just consider your ways. Does it sound like us? Now I've heard, I've heard pastors take this passage and go, this is a building program, boom. We're going to make a bigger building. This is God's house. That has nothing to do here. That's not what he's saying. Why was the temple so important to the people of, people of God in that day? Because the temple was the physical representation of the presence of God. It's a place for them to come worship. This building is not the physical representation of God. We, Christians, are the physical representation of God. We are not God, but God in us. So we are his temple. So God looks and says, okay, man, you, you are on this thing. You are going forward in the call that I gave you. You were to build the temple. The opposition came, and all of a sudden you said, ah, I don't have time for that. I have too many things that I have to do. I know that you've given me a call, but oh, this is way too big. Do you know my schedule, God? Do you know how big my mortgage is? Do you know how many kids I have and how many of them have sports and hobbies? And I got to drive them around on my camel, trying to get them to all the places that they need to go. I am swamped. I wish I could focus on what you've called me to do, but it is so different, God. It's so different right now. I understand your call. Oh, but man, I got my own life. Next year. God, I'll do it next year. Isn't it weird whenever we say next year or next week, I'll start next week. Start. I'll start eating better next week. This is my week of, yeah. I'm just going to drink gravy. Gravy. We're going to drink it. <laughs> so next week. And then Sunday gets you like, ah, oh, I just don't feel it right now. Next week. Isn't it weird how next week turns to next month, next year, next decade, next. And it all just flies by. Some of you who have kids that are graduating, didn't it just go by? Didn't you blink and Boom. Like, what? This isn't right. It just goes. And we don't mean it. We don't rebel. We just get comfy. And this is my life. And this is what I have. And this is mine. All the while forgetting that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is not mine. This is all his that every life, that, the life that I have, every breath that I take is all about him. It's supposed to be all about him because of what it is that he's called me to do. See, the circumstances that we face do not erase the call that God has given us. But the promises of God will always be fulfilled. Friends, I can be, oh, I, I think I can speak just because I've seen it and experienced it. When Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things. And what are these things? What you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear, where you'll live. God says, just seek me. Make it all about me and I'll give those things. And so I say, I don't see that right now. Because the Christian that I know, they have a nicer house than I do. Again, we're looking at the gifts and not the giver of the gifts. But can I look at that promise that Jesus himself made? Just seek first. Can you imagine Jesus just looking at the crowd going, just seek me first. Seek my kingdom and my right relationship with me. 
And all these things that you worry about, all these things I will provide. Does it mean there won't be opposition? No. Does it mean it won't ever be hard? No. Oh, but when you get past that, see, it doesn't, God never promises to get us around it. He always promises to walk with us through it. And if you're thinking of that one thing, remember that one thing that was so hard on you and your family? It's one of the hardest things you've ever faced. Wouldn't you be one of the first ones if you just kept going with Jesus and you got raw and honest? Now, some of you guys, when you pray, you are pathetic at praying because you're liars when you pray. You think that the moment you pray is the time to be polite. I'm gonna be polite when I pray. No, the, the time to, when you pray, the time at that moment, you're just supposed to be raw honest. So you just get raw honest with God. You did all that and he brought you through. I would venture to say, because I've seen it, I've experienced it, where you say, I don't wanna do that again but I would never trade that because I never knew it could be like this with God. If you've ever hiked and you're going to the hardest part and you're ready to give up, but I was like, I just know it's right around the corner. And then you're right around the corner and it goes further. You're like, oh, I was wrong. It's the next corner. So you're all, I'm gonna make it to the next one. It is so hard. And then you get around the corner and you've made it. And what's there? It's the view. And you see where you came from. And then you see this glory in front of you go, oh, this was worth it. The promises of God will always be fulfilled no matter what. Haggai says it's time to get to work. Zechariah comes in, it's time to get to work. And in summary, they finished the job. And God fulfilled his promises. And God is still about fulfilling his promises. You say, Brian, I haven't seen it for a long time. Welcome to the people of scripture. But I promise, I promise, he is with you. And when you seek him with all of your heart, he says, I will be found by them. You may be going the wrong direction and he's hiding behind a door, but he'll make the noise. He'll get you walking back. So what's our call, Christians? Jesus said it right before he ascended. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. That is the call. When I do not do that, I am disobeying God. That is the call. That I can't look at my life and go, but I'm super busy. I got all this stuff. No, God's sitting there going, I understand it, and I'll help you with this. But you're supposed to move forward in the call. Because you moving forward in the call is part of me fulfilling the promise. Because today might be the day that God uses one of us to introduce himself to someone else who was surrendered to Christ and give their lives to him and be saved for all of eternity. Or we could just go to lunch and go home. And maybe today that's not gonna happen for some of you, so you'll go to lunch and go home and feel completely guilty. But if that is our lifestyle every single day with not a thought of the commission, we are in sin But did you see the promise in the Great Commission? This is what I want you to do. Oh, and by the way, 
I will be with you to the very end of the age. There is the promise of God. We are unstoppable. And I was just curious, this morning I was looking through, I was like, what's the, what's the final thing that Jesus said? Well, I pray this encourages you as the worship team comes back up. Final thing that Jesus said is a promise. In Revelation chapter 22, at least the final thing recorded, verse 20, listen to this, this is awesome. Surely I am coming soon. Oh, are you excited about that day? I mean, just like one day, boom, there he is. Or do we sit there and go, oh, but not, not today, because God, I've been cleaning the house and people are coming for a barbecue tomorrow. Like, I don't want to waste the effort. Or for those who are single, oh, I'm almost married. Don't do that until like three days after the wedding. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> then you're married, no, not until I have kids. And then after you have kids, you're like, come now, Jesus. <laughs> Just certain days, not every day. (laughs) Guys, we have, that's what we encourage each other with. So as we go out, and we go make disciples, and we baptize them. Think about it, we've had about 140 people baptized since January in this church. Baptize them. Go make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey. Here's the promise. Jesus says, I am with you the whole way. And get this, I am coming back very soon. Jesus, we thank you that your promises are sure and they are done and they are yes in you. So may we go out looking for our part that maybe today we get to fulfill a promise you made 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, that someone would come to Christ, that someone's life would be changed, that you'll fulfill that promise. God, I pray we're aware. We live with a sense of awareness looking for how we can fulfill your promises or at least be part of the process. So God, use us. Thank you that you're reliable and stay as unpredictable as you want because it definitely makes it a ride. God, in all this, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. For you alone are worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees, it. amen.